Well, good afternoon, everyone. I get my pulpit up here. Um, hey, it's, it's great to be here with you. Um, and if, if you're here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. And uh, if you're not here for the first time, we're happy to see you too, so keep coming. But uh, I'm excited to share with you. We're in the middle of a series. We took a break, as Dave was sharing uh, last week. We took a break uh, to do a two-day two conference called Ignite. And uh, how many of you were able to be at that? Yeah, quite a few. So if you're all like me, you're probably still processing exactly how to implement. <laughs> there was so much, uh, so much good stuff presented. So if you weren't here, and you're, first of all, and you're going, I didn't even know about this. Well, I want to make a shameless plug because <laughs> all of the content that, all the teaching that happened last weekend is available on our website or on our app. And if you didn't know about it, then it might be that you don't, haven't downloaded our app. And the best way for you to stay connected to the life of this church and know what's going on, be able to jump in, uh, serve, or find different ways to connect is with our app. So download the app, watch messages. So just a shameless plug for you to do that. It's a really important uh, part of how we can connect in this digital uh, day we live in. Um, okay, so as I said, we're in the middle of this series called A Life Worth Dying For. And we're looking at the, at the life, the miracles, the teachings of Jesus as recorded by Luke. And Luke is one of four, as we said at the beginning, one of four accounts of, of Jesus' life included in the Bible. And uh, I just want to say this. That it's really important when you're reading the Bible to understand that you're not just reading a bunch of Bible stories, and what I mean by that is, is someone didn't wake up one day and go, you know what I need to do? I need, a, I need to make a book called The Bible. And I'm going to go solicit a bunch of people to write Bible stories to collect. What, that's, especially even with the book of Luke. Like Luke was never commissioned to write a book for the Bible. He didn't know there would be a The Bible. He didn't know that his, write, his book would be included in The Bible because it wasn't a book. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, who's a friend of his, and a Christian, and a Gentile government official. And he, he decides, he says, I'm gonna, in the very first couple verses, he says, hey, Theophilus, I'm going to write this detailed account of Jesus' life so that you can know that the things you believe, the things you've heard about Jesus are true. By the way, we can have that same confidence. Because here's what happened. He wrote, he wrote that book, a detailed account of Jesus' life, was the Gospel of Luke. And then he wrote Acts, which is a detailed account of the birth and growth of the first century church around the Mediterranean Rim. And he wrote these so that, again, so that you and I, or he wrote it for Theophilus, and it was collected in the Bible hundreds of years later when the Bible was put together. And they picked books that were not books, but probably letters, writings, and documents shared between people that were historically accurate, spiritually impactful, had power, and were, you know, they, they, they could authenticate the reality of them. So that's what we're reading. And so when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading Bible stories, we're reading spiritual history. And that's kind of a big deal. And you can know that there's validity in what you're reading. Now today, as we pick up our series of life we're dying for, we're going to go to a dinner party with Jesus. And the bummer about this dinner party, it is probably the worst dinner party ever, okay? It goes south right away. 
And uh, we also find that the people that Jesus finds himself at, at odds with in this dinner party are the people who were supposed to be the ones that looked like, talked like, acted like, behaved like. They could hear from God more than anyone else, the religious leader of their day. But the thing is, Jesus doesn't really see it that way. He doesn't really think they are the voice of God in their day. And in this confrontation, what we see happen is we see Jesus take the teachings he'd previously given, some of the ones we've talked about, about you know, loving your enemies, about uh, not judging, about giving your life for others and giving your life to uh, God. He talks about all of these in the context of these religious leaders who had a flawed methodology for finding righteousness, holiness, and salvation. That makes Jesus a little upset, but what's even more upsetting to Jesus as we read this, we find that they're also holding people captive and creating this legalistic check-off to-do list for people in order to be qualified as righteous and able to receive salvation. Jesus is not on board with that, right? So, as a matter of fact, they had 600, if you know this, 613 Jewish laws. 248 of them were to-dos, 365 to-don'ts. Okay, who would be excited about that? Hey, I'd like to join your, I hear you've got a lot of things I have to do and not do. I'd like to, where do I sign up for that, right? Well, the other thing that I want us to understand is this, that as we look at this encounter, we're not only going to see a problem with these guys, but I think that we can understand what's wrong with our church. I mean, K2. And I think we can understand what's wrong with the church in Salt Lake City, Utah, the nation, the world. Because the church is just made up of people who are flawed. And I think if we're all open to it, we'll see a little bit of ourselves in this story. So I'm going to pick up in chapter 11 of Luke and just kind of read through this story. And there's a lot of dense stuff, so I'm going to kind of move and try and explain some of these things that we might miss if we don't read it, so, or if we don't uh, take some time. So, Verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Now, let me just stop. This is not like, you know, wash your hands like you say to your kids when they've come in from outside, you know, before dinner. This is a ceremonial washing. This is, look at how clean and righteous and holy I am by the way I wash my hands. It's not like he's fully God, but he just has bad hygiene. That's not what's happening here. This is actually just a big show. And when I read the commentaries on this, what a lot of the, uh, of the writers of these commentaries said is actually Jesus did this on purpose to initiate this discussion. Like he, this wasn't like, oops, forgot to wash. Sorry, guys. He did it on purpose. So carry on. It says, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be made clean for you. So he calls him out. He's like, you're worried about the external stuff being clean, but it's, this is like, here's what's going on, guys. It's like you take your dishes and you wash the outside of the bowl 
and then you put the food in the dirty part, or you wash a cup outside, and you pour the drink in, and you're worried about my hands, but what's actually happening is you're actually defiling people the way you live. Then he says, woe to you Pharisees, and this is an expression they don't really have a, I don't know if we have a good example in, in our current culture, but it's like, it's a horrific response, an expression of grief and a public condemnation. Like he's very strongly, sadly angry about this. And he wants them to understand that. So he says, uh, where am I? Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful meetings in the marketplace. In other words, you're doing everything so that people look at you and go, wow, they're holy. It's like, I see this, a lot of you guys do this, drives me nuts, you post your meals on your Facebook feed. I don't, great, you eat better than me. I like macaroni. <laughs> Macaroni's great. Anyway, what they're doing is they're posting, the, they're, they're tithing on their herbs. Wow, isn't that impressive? If they had a Facebook back then, they would be like, look at me tithing my herbs on my Facebook feed instead of their meals, right? This is just a public show. And Jesus says, listen, it's not that that's bad that you're tithing it. You should keep doing that. But you need to stop worrying about your public appearance because what you're trying to do is get the, condom, or the, the commendation and the praise of others who look at you and go, wow, if only I could be that religious. Goes on, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing. Okay, this is the gut punch. <laughs> because in Jewish religion, coming in contact with something dead made you ceremonially unclean. And what he's saying to them, you're like unmarked graves, he's saying it's not bad enough that you're making people ceremonially unclean with your intended hearts, but you're like, you, people don't even know it when they touch you because you're unmarked, because you present yourself as so holy. It's like me not washing my hands times a billion is kind of what he's saying there. And this isn't included in scripture, but I'm pretty sure this happened. That at that point, the Pharisee got up and walked across the room to his wall and took this plaque off of the wall that says, Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, and the silent listener to every conversation. <laughs> and then they threw it on the ground and took turns stomping on it. Well, we think we're done, but that was just the Pharisees. And then one of the scribes, who were the guys who, the, the guys who wrote stuff down and interpreted religious law, one of, the, one of the experts in law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. What he's saying is like, I know you don't mean this for us, you just mean this for the Pharisees, but you need to understand, you're insulting us too. And Jesus is like, yeah, I just hadn't gotten to you yet. Hang on, here we go, okay? <laughs> it's coming. So then he says... And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourself will not even lift a finger to help them. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. In other words, 
You're supposed to have the key to understanding how people get into heaven, and you've taken the key and you've hidden it from everyone. That's quite an indictment. And then Jesus went outside, and the Pharisees said, Thank you, Jesus. Good talk. You've given us much to think about and apply. No. They expose their hearts even more, they say. Uh, it says, when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. They're not interested in helping people find, you know, living right before God. They're interested in looking good and taking Jesus down. So, great. What are we supposed to do with this? So, uh, some bad guys, Jesus set them straight. They probably didn't listen. Let's move on, right? Well, I just want to make a couple observations that I think are kind of important for us. The first thing I want to say is that, well, let me, let me ask you this question. If your parent and your daughter brought someone home, she was considering dating, or maybe, you know, you're in high school, maybe you're considering dating someone in college, or single, or single again, or whatever, and you're considering dating someone, and they are, you know, the list of all the bad things about them, if they fit that, and your daughter said, to you, hey, should I date, date these people? You know, they're judgmental and all this kind of stuff. They're terrible people. What should I do? You obviously would not want to date them. And here's what I want us to understand. In the religious world, in our pursuit of Jesus, it's no different. I mean, here's what I mean by that. These guys were the people that everyone looked at and understood to be the mouthpieces of God, the people who looked like God more than anyone else. And when people looked at them, they made a decision on whether to follow Jesus or follow God for the Jewish people. And I don't think they were really encouraging people to do it based on that. And here's what I would say to you. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are his image bearer, whether you know it or not. And if you are presenting an unfavorable, untrue image of God without knowing, you are turning people away from him. It would be like if your daughter brought home this person who had this list of terrible uh, attributes that everyone believed about them. But what if those attributes weren't true? What if the, the person that your daughter brought home was this really, really kind, generous, forgiving, other-centered person? They would be missing out, and you would definitely say, oh, I wish I would have known that. I would have told you to date the guy. Again, the same is true in our pursuit of Jesus and how we connect with others. I just want to say this. AW, I, I'm stealing this from last weekend. A.W. Tozer says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. This is one of the things I've been thinking about all week. Uh, uh, Diane put this quote up. and I, here, Here's, just to finish this thought, David Kinnaman uh, is a researcher, and he wrote two books uh, based on research. The first is called Unchristian. And this book looked at perceptions of the church and perceptions of Christians. And what they found, they looked inside the church and outside the church for this. And what they found was that people felt like the church was hypocritical 
too political, judgmental, sheltered, homosexual haters, and only interested in proselytizing. In other words, I don't want to be a friend of yours. I just want to make this, close the deal. Then he wrote another book a few, just a few years ago called You Lost Me, and this one looks at the rapid growing exodus of millennials and mosaics from the church because their perception of people that were in the church and the church was that it was overprotected, shallow, anti-science, repressive, exclusive, doubtless, which just means not a safe place to ask questions. How many of you, in the same way that there were 613 religious laws in the Jewish faith, how many of you read that list and go, I'm in? None of us. So, I just want to talk now about how we can change this image into the way we live being the way that Jesus actually called us to live and the way he wants us to live so that other people can see us, but also so that we can have the life he called us to live. Hang on, oh, wrong page. Here are three things that I want to just have you notice about this encounter that Jesus has with these guys. The first is this. He wants us to know that he asks us to live for the benefit of others, right? He asks us to live for the benefit of others. He says, again, in verse 39, you're full of greed and wickedness. And I didn't explain this when I was reading, when I was reading this earlier, but the word used for greed is like a violent greed, like, like you're, um, let me see, you're, you're pillaging or plundering from someone. That's, that's what this word means. It's like you'll seize stuff that doesn't belong to you. And, but it's a violent desire to own and possess stuff that you don't even need or want. And specifically in this context, it's referring to material goods. And that's what he's saying. What's inside of you? This violent greed that wants you that, that may, puts you in a position where you're trying to steal from those that you're supposed to be leading to him. Leading to God. And then it, wickedness is like this depravity or the per perversion where they're perverting the intention of a, a moral thing for personal gain. That's what he's saying to them. And as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, that's terrible, right? But what's his, what is Jesus' solution to that? And his solution is this. He says, as for what's inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean. He, Everything will be clean if I'm generous to the poor. I began thinking about that a little bit, and I realized why that's the solution. Because what he's saying to them is to stop looking outward at the other people and seeing opportunity for your personal advancement and start looking inward at the way you can facilitate others' needs. And what the Pharisees of that time, and if we're honest with ourselves, what we do is we look at others as projects or opportunities for our own spiritual or material or physical growth as opposed to seeing how we can meet the needs of others. And the problem with legalism, which is what this is, all these laws and these things you have to follow, is that it creates pride and hierarchies and these God complex because you're like, I did it. I'm amazing. Is it really about you? It also creates shame and separation and isolation because you feel like, I just can't, I can't achieve that. And that's not what God called us to. Look at Luke 12, he says this. From, 
everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has, entrusted, has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. You want to know why God blesses you with stuff? Not just for you. Because he wants you to use what he gives you for the good of those around you. Again, Philippians says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity. Rather, in humility, value others above, not even as well as, but above yourselves and your own interests. This is the first thing he wants us to know is that he asks us to live for the benefit of others. The second thing he wants us to realize is that God cares about our intentions more than our public perception. God cares about our intentions more. I wasn't even gonna tell you this story, but I remember when I was in high school, it just hit me. I was in high school and um, I, would, I would, my parents just had, they're pretty laid back about stuff. They're like, you have to, 12 o'clock, that's a curfew, be home at 12 o'clock, okay? And so I would go and I would never make it home in time. Never. And so I began this process. I began this process of like, I'd be driving home and I'm like, oh, there's a train. Yes, yes, yes. But the train would be like one car. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just tell my parents that I got stuck by a train. And then I'd get home and sometimes they would, they'd be asleep. So I'd be like, oh, great, I didn't have to lie. And I got hit with this lightning bolt of truth that was like this. It doesn't matter. You already sinned. You already did it. And I'm like, crap. Because tomorrow night I'm going to be late again. <laughs> God wants us to understand that he's more concerned in our attentions than he is in our public perception. We see this in verse 43. He says, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Yeah, they're just all about being the great guys. I was looking at Facebook, and I saw this, this came into my feed, and I just, it, was, it struck me as so out of balance of what, what can happen. It's this, uh, yeah, top 10 Hillsong drummer goat moments. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's what worship is about. <laughs> Who can really lay it down, bro? But here's what happens if we're not careful. We get sidetracked from worshiping God to worshiping worship music or even worshiping the worshiper. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to be about worshiping him. See, Jesus' solution that he gives us to impure, impure motives in this, he says, don't neglect justice and the love of God. I'm like, okay, wait, oh, let me figure this one out because this is tricky too. <laughs> He's talking about your intentions. And then I realized, don't just do something because you can get away with it and no one will know. Do what's just. And then I came up with this life-changing quote that you guys will write down and it will epically change your world. When it talks about justice, don't neglect justice. Justice is just us doing what's just. I didn't see anyone writing. <laughs> Justice is just us doing what's just. And what's, what's just is being fair, impartial, moral, correct. It's doing the right thing. And here's what's more important. Even when it costs you. If you want to know if you're acting justly, it's easy to do the just thing if it costs you nothing 
But if that's the only time you find yourself doing what's just, what's right, you're probably not doing it all the time. We see in 1 Samuel, they picked their leader, right? 1 Samuel, they picked their leader because he was handsome, tall, and muscular. <laughs> Saul, King Saul. How did that go for Israel? <laughs> look, at, look at the verse. I'll just read it really quickly. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by the outward appearance or the height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the intentions, the heart. He wants us to know that he's far more concerned about our intentions than how we look on the outside. That's the second thing. And then the third thing he wants us to know is that our best efforts lead to death, but God's grace leads to life. And it's kind of interesting as I was reading through this, I realized I know he wasn't giving a four-step process to what the gospel is, but he lays out, even in the midst of conflict with these guys, he lays out a very clear gospel message to to anyone who would hear what he has to say. And so, the first thing we can see is that he says, you're like unmarked graves. You, we can try and earn our right standing with God. That's what I would say. That's, that's the first part. These guys were legalistically bound by these rules, and as a result, they think they're actually acquiring closeness and holiness and righteousness with God because they can do these things. But you can't. Look at Isaiah 64, 6. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. We try and earn our right standing with God. We can't. The second thing about this is that we can try and just bear the burden, but it makes us turn away. Eventually, the burden of trying to live up to human standards of checklists and things that are going to make me religious is so crushing. We can't bear it any longer, and we turn away. And you see it here in verse 46. You load the people down with burdens they can hardly carry. I mean, again, if people believed that they were joining, you know, the first church of unattainable, hoop-jumping, judgmental, unforgiving Baptist or whatever it is, how many people would go, that's my church? N none of us. We see in Romans 10, he says this, there's no one that's righteous, not even one, no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Don't try and earn it. Don't try and bear the load. Just receive it. And this is the last thing I want to say about this. And band, you guys can come up. So we can either try to earn our right standing, we can either try and bear the burden, or we can receive God's grace and his righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you hear this verse all the time. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. The bottom line is this. Your best efforts will get you no closer to God. Your best efforts, in fact, may take you further away from God. 
And so what I want to do is I just want to pray as we close here today. Because maybe some of you are here and you've actually never even taken that step to follow Jesus. And if that's you, I want today to be that day. I want you to get out from the crushing load and the unbearable burdens that you feel like religion is placing on you. I want you to know who Jesus is and I want you to live in the freedom of his grace. So I'm gonna pray for you. But I think it's easy for us after we've made a decision to slip back into old ways, to turn our eyes away from who God is and who Jesus lays out for us to be. And we take back the reins, we take back the control, and we try and make our way his way. And so what I want to do today, I'm going to pray for you if you've never received, and I want to pray for those of you who are here who are like, you know what, I feel like I'm not living the life that Jesus called me to live. I'm not following this non-legalistic way of living. I feel like I'm trying to earn my stuff. I feel like the load is crushing me. And again, if you want prayer, we have people who'd love to pray with you. If you want to come forward, we're just going to do a couple songs here. You can come forward and pray with yourself or pray with one of us. Susan Dave right down here, Saad Derek over here. We would love that opportunity. And we're just going to close with a couple songs, but pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we see... That as Jesus encountered these guys who were legalistically trying to produce, build their own personal spiritual tower of Babel to reach heaven, that not only were they keeping themselves from getting into heaven, they were keeping others from finding you because they were creating an image that was not the true you. And I would just say if someone is, just today, if you're here in this place and you're following a false image of who Jesus is, I pray you'd walk away from that image right now. I pray you'd walk into the true image of who God created you to be and who he calls you to be and how he asks you to live in his freedom and his grace and his forgiveness. And if we've turned away from you, please turn us back. May we again see the beauty of who you are and what you've created for us. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our failures. For, forgive us. Forgive us for hiding the keys to heaven. Help us be that conduit that leads people into a deeper relationship with you. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.